Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Hi, this is Darren Wright, and this is part one of two-part series where I interview Tim Chesterton. Tim is an Anglican priest living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He's been a priest all over Canada. He's from the UK originally. And we're discussing really disciple-making from a mainline church perspective. So for those of us from a more evangelical, non-mainline background, this will be insightful. I think you'll find it enriching and encouraging. And so uh, let's just jump in. Part one of two with Tim Chesterton discussing disciple-making from an Anglican tradition. Welcome back to Disciple Making. I'm Darren Wright, and I'm here today with my friend Tim Chesterton. You're used to Tim Beadle being here, but Tim is uh, off doing some other things right now. I'm here with Tim Chesterton, a lifelong friend, or close to lifelong, uh, 30 years now, I believe, close to 30 years. And we first crossed paths in a little place called Valley View, Alberta, many years ago, and we've maintained some contact since then. And uh, Tim is an Anglican priest. He is currently in Edmonton. Uh, welcome, Tim. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks so much for jumping in. And uh, maybe just right out of the gate, uh, just give us a Reader's Digest version of your ministry journey. You've covered some territory, and it's yeah. an interesting journey. And maybe just uh, uh, share your ministry journey with us. I'll, yeah, I'll do that, uh, Darren. I, I was born in England, um, came to Canada uh, with my family as a teenager, and um, started out in ministry in an Anglican organization called the Church Army, which is kind of like the Salvation Army, only Anglican, or it was then anyway. And uh, so it was a sort of an evangelistic kind of organization, uh, but, but also uh, quite involved in ministry in small, isolated uh, churches. So um, as, a, as a Church Army uh, member, I served in uh, northeastern Saskatchewan for five years, and then in the Arctic for seven years after that in a couple of small, isolated communities. And it was while I was in the second of those communities that I was ordained, um, uh, first of all, as a deacon, and then later as a priest in our Anglican way of doing things. And then after that, uh, down to Valley View, as you mentioned, um, and uh, so eight and a half years there. And uh, now it's been um, 21 years uh, in St. Margaret's in in Edmonton. And uh, a variety of uh, situations too, because in some in some cases I've pastored like just one church as I am now, um, and in others um, like multi point, like in Valley View, I was also looking after congregations in Fox Creek and Goodwin, and uh, also uh, when we were in Saskatchewan, we were living in a, a, a white community, and, and two First Nations reserves were a part of our parish as well. So yeah, a lot of a lot of uh, different kind of settings, uh, a lot of different cultures, and sometimes some language stuff involved as well. So yeah, it's been a fun learning experience. Yeah, it's it's been good to have you in the country. And uh, Tim, just for those of you listening, uh, Tim was one of the initial test readers of my DNA of a Christ follower book, and he and his wife Marcy uh, did a beautiful analysis. It's only a couple of very English people could do, and improved the book immensely uh, mm-hmm. through their reading. I really appreciate that. And uh, Tim's written a few books himself. And what's what's going on with your writing these days, Tim? Um, well, <laughs> getting things finished has been a bit of a challenge. I mean, all of us have discovered, I think, over the past year and a half with the pandemic that it takes us like about 50% more time to do all the things that we used to do. So I'm still, I'm still working on some fiction. 
Um, and I also still have um, uh, a book that I wrote about Christian basics back in the early 2000s, which I'm attempting to uh, revise. Um, I did it. I used it as a as a Christian basics course on on uh, on Zoom um, last year. Um, and I thought that that would really help me, but uh, I ended up just having scribbling down rough notes for the, for most of that, and I still haven't really succeeded in expanding them very much. But I live in hope that <laughs> that it will actually get <laughs> that I will actually yeah. get something accomplished. Now, is that one on Amazon, Tim? Um, no, um, the other stuff was on Amazon. My fiction is on Amazon, but uh, but the original version of Starting at the Beginning was published uh, back in the paperback days in 2003 by the Anakin Book Center. It's now out of print, um, but I am hopeful that uh, that when I actually get that revised that I'll be able to put it up on, on Amazon and on Kindle and, and different places like that. So Excellent. Good. Yeah. And uh, folks, look back in the, in the show notes here. When I get confirmation of that, that maybe it's up, we'll put it back in the notes here because people will be listening to this hopefully down, down the line. Well, well, let's jump into things about disciple-making. We just simply, Tim Beadle and I, my partner in this podcast, just call this this podcast Disciple-Making. <laughs> mm. That's what we talk about, and we take you know all kinds of different angles, and we talk about it from a, from what I would say is an evangelical standpoint, but I don't even know what that word means anymore, Tim. You know, yeah. I, I know that you would have considered yourself an evangelical at some point, and then mm-hmm. how are you, like, what do you make, what's happened to the phraseology of evangelical? Where are we at these days? Is it still a valid descriptor? I think that uh, we we are fighting a lot of cultural baggage with that word nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, over, especially over the past few years, and uh, the the way that it's become identified, particularly in the United States, with the political right wing. Um, interestingly, it's never really been identified that way in Britain, where I mm. where I grew up. I mean, uh, there were a lot of left wing evangelicals when I was uh, when I was a teenager, and still are actually in the mm. in the UK. But I think in North America, it's a tough sell. I think. We we would like to think of ourselves as a people of grace, hmm. you know, that, that we're not about, uh, well, am I good enough? But we're about the love of God reaching out to us in Christ. We'd like to think of ourselves as the people of the scriptures, you know, um, who are formed by by that. Um, I think we'd like to think of ourselves as a people who, who believe in evangelism and who want mm-hmm. to lead other people to into a living relationship with God uh, through Christ. So I think that we can still emphasize the positive um, uh, factors in the evangelical tradition. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, you and I know that, that nothing ever stands still in the Christian no. world. You know, I mean, evangelicalism in the 18th century is a different animal from evangelicalism today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I think we're constantly, we're constantly looping back <laughs> to yeah. our scriptures and to Jesus and inviting him to renew our vision of what Christianity is is all about so you know i mean i i could could have conversations with people about what exactly the inspiration of the scriptures means and how exactly we define the cross and we know that there are many different varieties of evangelical but i i would i'm still happy to use that word to describe myself you know Um, i I don't know if everybody's happy to use it to describe me but (laughs) but i'm happy to use it (laughs) that's good yeah i mean for me evangelical has to do with a, a certain sense there is a conservative sense to it uh, in my usage or my understanding with scripture and all, but primarily it's about evangelistic. It's about wanting to reach out and actually carry out the mission of Christ is a big part of that. You know, yeah. that, that that's something that I think has been constant in some measure. Uh, yeah. Although interestingly, I think the mission has been sometimes pushed aside due to the politics of yeah. late. And that's yeah. been, that's been a challenge. Yeah. yeah. 
and I find that quite interesting from a from a from a Anglican point of view, a mainline tradition which was really formed in Christendom uh, when the church was in bed with the state, you know, and uh, and uh, it, I find it really interesting how in North America it seems almost like. Uh, some parts of evangelicalism have been sort of seduced by that hmm. way of doing Christianity, whereas a lot of us who are in mainline churches now kind of find ourselves on the margins. So, yes. it's, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting how we've kind of sort of traded places there in, in, in some yeah. ways. Well, and you've referred, you know, you talked about being scripture formed. And, you know, I think really scripture is one of the renewing factors. If we, if we yes. can maintain the flow of scripture in the hands of the spirit, yeah. that is, that gives us the hope of renewal. Yes, so pulling us yeah. back to what matters, and if we lose that, you know, we're we're awash. We're really adrift then. And I would add to that: never assuming that we already know what's there when we go to read it. You know, because um, hopefully, I, I I think part of being an evangelical is is to um, maintain the expectation that we're going to be surprised by new things that the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Scriptures. You know. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I know for me, when I study a passage that I'm familiar with but I've yeah. never studied deeply for me. Yeah. Uh, proof that I've studied deeply is that I changed my mind about something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that happens. You know, it's funny that, you know, these, these ideas you can have about a passage for years, and then you study it and realize, Oh, I'm, I've been off by about 45 degrees on this one. Yeah. And I was formed by the interpretive grid that I was handed in my, mm-hmm. in my kind of, you know, nurture and everything, which surprise, surprise, wasn't infallible about everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's an excellent distinction that's a yeah. very good distinction that our interpretive grid is not infallible mm-hmm. wow beautiful mm-hmm. well said tim well so you're an anglican priest and uh you know a lot of our listeners are, are maybe not as familiar with with uh, the mainline church i know i don't pretend to really understand it all we've had lots of chats over the years about different things mm-hmm. and and great fellowship around it and in, in ministry and mission but what is disciple making what, what does disciple making mean in your context what is what does it mean what does it look like well, I think I have to say that, to be honest, in Anglicanism, we're, we're kind of playing catch up here because it's not historically been a part of our, our DNA. You know, I mean, as I say, we were um, we were formed as a Christendom church in a, in a time in history where you just assumed that if you were English, you were part of the Church of England. You were baptized as a baby. I think that uh, it was assumed that everybody within a particular geographical area was a Christian. Uh, mm-hmm. By virtue of having been baptized and being a member of society, uh, it was the right of the king or the to choose the religion of of, of his people, and uh, so you know the, the job of a pastor was to sort of catechize and uh, to provide pastoral care and to be there with people at time uh, for rites of passage and that sort of stuff. But there wasn't a great sense of of the need to. Um, to reach out to evangelize and make new Christians. It was assumed that people were already Christians, Hmm. you know, and I think that um, even in the 18th century, so like two centuries after the beginning of Anglicanism as a distinct tradition, even in the 18th century, that, that understanding obviously didn't hold true to society as a whole, which is why the Wesley's, and George Whitfield and people like that kind of uh, were raised up by the Holy Spirit to actually go around on horseback and do real evangelism and, uh, you know, invite yes. people to conversion and things like that. So we've always had that um, sort of evangelical uh, emphasis in our tradition. Um, but we've also it's it's never been entirely comfortable for a lot of Anglican people. Um, they're very comfortable as a sort of a pastoral care kind of tradition where it's the job of the church to be the chaplain to mm. society as as a whole. So I think now we're realizing 
not all of us, but I think most of us are realizing that we've got some catching up to do. And, and we're looking around. And I, for instance, I've found a lot of guidance um, over the past 15 years by um, hanging out with Mennonite friends who, mm-hmm. uh, who have had a long experience of being marginalized by society, you know, and uh, realizing that, um, you know, that, that the church is not meant to be coterminous with society, but the church is called to be a distinct community, a signpost of the kingdom. So I've got a lot to learn, you know. Yeah. Oh, don't we all? You know, it's interesting what you're describing about uh, the way you describe the Anglican Church of history, how it's interesting that it describes the present, quote, evangelical church in a lot of ways as well, where there is really? a sense of, uh, you know, chaplaincy and mm-hmm. the rites of passage and everything else, and where mission has often, and this is not, you know, not in every case, but has often waned, and it's become mm-hmm. a, its own subculture a uh, very closed in a very centralized form of ministry as opposed to a, a, an outward. You know, I talk about centripetal versus centrifugal. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's been very centripetal versus New Testament centrifugal. And mm-hmm. uh that that certainly is a trend that we fought against a lot in in the Western world because uh we're no longer functioning in anything resembling Christendom. No. And and the other thing of course is that like historically Anglicanism has has put a huge amount of emphasis on our on our Sunday liturgy. Mm. Um, you know, and it's it's been part of a big part of our identity. I mean, for hundreds and hundreds of years, Anglicanism was the Book of Common Prayer. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so doing that liturgy and doing it well, and the sense that if you just built a church and opened the doors, they would come and uh, and 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 take part in that. Um, but not so much of a sense of uh, um, sort of going out and and seeing ourselves as in mission to our neighbours. You know, that's uh, it's, it was just well they'll find their way to us, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> so, yeah, I think we have a, 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 a lot to learn there. And I think another problem that we have, we, we've started using discipleship language in the last couple of decades in the Anglican Church as a whole, especially the, the global South. They're kind of ahead of us in that way. Hmm. But I still don't think we have a really clear sense of what we mean by a disciple of Jesus. Hmm. Okay. And so, it, you know, we can talk about making disciples and it too easily morphs into making people who are just like us. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, rather than that's what I loved about what you did in, in the DNA of a Christ follower was you were helping us to find a, a really clear picture of what we meant by a disciple so that hmm. we could then, you know, and, and I, I might not have described it in exactly the same way that you did in the, in the book, but I was really grateful that you took that one on because I think that's just crucial to to us. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, Tim. Yeah. And really, one of the main points of the book is that it's not terribly important whether you agree with my frame up yeah. of what a disciple is, but that mm-hmm. we actually have a frame up of some kind that yeah. we are able yeah. to describe what a disciple yeah. is in an actionable way. Yeah. That yeah. helps us with disciple making. So I know you, um, the Anglican Church is not monolithic, neither is evangelicalism, and you are, you know, a unique individual within all of that. So when you think about disciple making, your your practice of disciple making, and we're gonna kind of break down, you know, evangelism and disciple making. It's all under the umbrella in my mind of disciple making. It includes evangelism, yep. includes growing people up. Let's maybe start at the front end of that and say evangelism. What does it look like in your context? I know you've been involved in some initiatives, and mm. you know, very, very sounds like your diocese is you know actively seeking to to figure out how to do it. What is yeah. that looking like in your world right now? Well, I think that. Um we there's a perception in uh, the Anglican world that when we say we need to do evangelism there's a there's a sort of a 
stereotype about what that mm. looks like. And it's usually, you know, evangelism for extroverts. And it's usually, it can be manipulative, you know, and, and it, it can be a little overbearing and stuff. And, uh, and I, I firmly believe that just like human beings have temperaments, so I think that Christian traditions tend to have temperaments too, you know. And uh, I think the dominant temperament in Anglicanism is probably more sort of intuitive and more introverted and that kind of thing. So I think that the uh, sort of the hard the hard sell style of of evangelicalism of uh, evangelism, which can work well for some people, you know, um, it's a it it tends to be more difficult. So what I'm trying to do with the with the program that I'm running in the Diocese of Edmonton, which is um, to train people uh, uh, for a volunteer ministry of evangelism. What I'm trying to do is to help people to, to say, okay, what's, what's, what's the temperament that God has given to me? Hmm. And what styles of evangelism uh, fit well with that temperament and yeah. for most of the people that that we're, that we're working with they can it tends to be more of a conversational relational sort of style of evangelism i also think it's really important for get, to give people a sense that um jesus is the great evangelist the holy spirit is is at work before we are um the, the holy spirit gets there long before we get there and uh, so God is already at work in people's lives. So we need to learn how to pray and how to listen and how to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that um, so we so that we have conversations with the people that we're meant to have conversations with uh, in, in, in God's plan. Right. And uh, oh, well, but one of my favorite authors uh, talks about uh, the evangelism that you don't plan, which usually works so much better than the evangelism that you do plan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. Well, that, no, that, that, that's really good. We're, we're sure learning about that in our neighborhood here as we've been praying for neighbors and starting to interact and how mm. we just seem to be alert. We, we, are, we have described, we describe it as pray and pay attention. Yes. <laughs> you know, pray yeah. and then see what God does and what he stirs and who pops up and, and be prepared to make yourself available, you know, to, yeah. to take those opportunities. That's that's really and, and I also want to say that I think that it's really important that the relationships be genuine and that and that and that they not just be sort of um people don't need people will be put off if they think that that that, that they're they've become a project for you. You know, I think, uh, I think, I think if people get the sense that, you know, if I do my evangelistic spiel and they say no, mm. that's the end of the relationship. Well, I don't think people are going to like that very much, right? I think there's. Well, no, a- you know, it's interesting. We face that exact same barrier in our evangelism training where people are concerned about that. Mm-hmm. And basically, we say it's not about getting someone to cross a line in some way. That's not, that's not the, um, the primary focus. The primary focus is relationship. And when yeah. you know someone, love someone, have a relationship, you share what's important to you and they will share what's important to them. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and something that's also helped a lot, Tim, you talk about, you know, extroverts versus introverts in evangelism. One thing we found helpful here is distinguishing those who are gifted as evangelists yeah. versus the rest of us yeah. <laughs> yeah. who are called yeah. to be witnesses and don't have, witnesses. you know, this, this, this harvesting gift really where people can, I describe it, you know, they get on the elevator at the top for them by the bottom. Somebody's accepted the Lord kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Most of us are not wired like that. Yeah. And so it's really about relational, personal evangelism, you know, living out the life of Christ really. Yeah. And I would also add that there's a, there's another uh, ministry, which is kind of in this constellation as well. And that's the ministry of the apologist. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and the the one who who is who who is excited about helping people to grapple with the big questions, you know, and yeah. uh, and, and and isn't isn't uh, intimidated by that, you know, uh, you know, the new atheists, oh, bring them on, right? We'll have a we can have a conversation. These are really important issues, and we can have a conversation about that. A lot of people find that intimidating, but people who are are called by God to be apologists don't find that intimidating. That's their bread and butter, right? <laughs> so <it's- laughs> that's true. That, that's a very very good call. Yeah, we talk about some of those difficult questions and things, and the truth is that a good relationship is a really great context to have the tough discussions. Yeah. And one absolutely. of the principles we teach is, you know, you don't typically share the gospel. I mean, anytime you do under leading the spirit, but you don't typically share it until your relationship is at a stage where you can actually have an argument and still be friends. Yes. Yeah. Like that's the level yeah. of relationship we're looking for in our evangelistic activity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what does evangelism look like in your world? I mean, obviously you have children born into the church who are baptized and confirmed and through that, but how does it happen? What does it look like on the adult level? How has someone quote come to faith or how would you even describe it in your, in your context? That was part one of the two part series on disciple making from an Anglican tradition with Tim Chesterton. Come back for the next episode where we'll have part two. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.